chapter 18. If you brought your Bibles with you, please open them up. Psalm 18. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Psalm 18, probably 19 as we move through tonight. And again, a couple more Psalms of David. Interestingly, as we look at Psalm 18, it is also recorded almost word for word in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And there, it is towards the end of David's life. As we read the introduction, it's the same in, in, in 2 Samuel, where we get the introduction here. And it looks as though, well, let's look at it real quickly. For the choir director, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, so it, some, it, I read a couple of different things uh, on this. Some believe that this was written earlier on in, in David's reign after, after he became king and then was repeated later on towards the end of his life when, in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Um, wh whether that's the case or not, we don't know for sure. Or if this is taken from that later part in his life because it does speak of here that he's, that he's remembering and rejoicing in the Lord because the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from Saul. Interesting. Don't know if that means that he never considered Saul his enemy with that because he separates Saul out of that with it. But the real point behind it, and we'll see as we move through this, is David just giving praise and honor and glory and thanksgiving to God because he proved himself faithful over and over again. Verse 1, notice how it starts. I love you, O Lord. My strength, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Wow, <laughs> a very personal beginning, verses one and two. Notice how he starts off, I love you, O Lord. <laughs> I love you, O Lord. He goes on to talk again the very personal nature of who God is to David. But I can't get past that first part because when I have this picture of David in my mind, this mighty man, this warrior, this battle-hardened soldier who had been through so much, been through so many battles, and he starts off with, I love you, Lord. You know what that tells me? Real men love Jesus. <laughs> and he's not ashamed to say it. He's not ashamed to come right out and say, I love my Lord. I love Jesus. I love the God who is all of these things to me. Notice the very personal nature. He says my, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times in two verses. My strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. All of these different words to use to describe God and who he is to David. His stability, his safety, his security, his protection, his strength, 
And you know, that he starts off with that and, and uses different words to describe that, his strength. David knew that from a very early age. He knew that it wasn't because of anything that David had that made him super special. No, it was the strength of God, the protective hand of God. Even going all the way back to the, when we're first introduced to him, you know, back to the story of David and Goliath, when he's, when he's speaking to Saul and the others, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then he goes on and boasts to Goliath. When everybody else is shaking in their armor, David doesn't even have any armor on. He just goes out with a sling and five stones. Only needed one, but he took five anyway. Goes out with, to face Goliath. And again, it wasn't because he was, had any feeling, anything in himself, other than the fact that he knew God was with him and the strength of the Lord was going to deliver him. And that stayed with David throughout his whole life. God, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He had this perspective that God was all of these things for him. Lastly, this my stronghold speaks of the fact that because of God, he has this, this higher ground. He has the ability to see things from a different perspective. In verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. If we get to the end of chapter 19 tonight, we'll see this again. I, I, there's something that just struck me a couple of times as I was reading through this. He's worthy to be praised, not because of what he does. He is worthy to be praised because of who he is. We sang of that. One of the songs that we sang tonight, I was singing along in the words, and I was thinking, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to say here. We don't, the Bible tells us that at one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord in Christ. That is, he is going to get that praise from everybody. But there's something special and different about the praise when it comes from you and I as born-again believers. And we thank him and we honor him and we, and we give him a, that, that praise in a different way because we understand what he has done for us. He is worthy to be praised because of who he is. But he's given us this ability as Christians to praise him in a, in a, different, in a different way because we understand all that he's done for us. Does that make sense? We praise him because of who he is. We thank him and we give him honor because of what he's done. And we see both of those things pouring out in David. Verse 4, the cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol, or the grave, surround me. The snares of death confronted me. We We've, we've talked of this already as we've looked at several Psalms of David, and we will see this as we continue to go through Psalms of David. David has these first couple of verses where he's crying out, I love you, and, and my, you're my strength, my fortress, my deliverer, on that side looking back. But you'll remember there's times when he was in the middle of it. We looked at it a few weeks ago, even in Psalm 13. Did you forget about me, God? How long are you going to forget about me? How long are you going to turn away from me? How long are my enemies going to be over me? And then on the other side of it, he says, Lord, my strength, my rock. My refuge, God is so great and is patient towards us. But the real, these real things that David was facing, but notice 
the cords of death encompassed me. The, the, the torrents of the ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. I'm like, death is all around me. We talked on Sunday of, of the promises that, that the disciples had to make it to the other side, the promise that we have as Christians to make it to the other side. David oftentimes would panic, thinking he's going to die. David had no chance of dying before he became king. That was a promise that he had. He was already anointed king, hadn't realized it yet. But holding on to those promises and everything, but it doesn't change the, the perceived reality that is all around us. And we see that. This is how David saw his problems, but we're going to see in a moment how he sees his God, and that's, all, that's amazing. Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Notice he called on the Lord first, and we talked to that on Sunday too. He called to the Lord. He didn't look to man he didn't try to do other things and try to get around that. He went to the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry for help came before him into his ears. As, again, born-again believers, guys, we don't need an intermediary. We go directly to the throne of God. We go directly to the throne of grace. It is, it's a wonderful thing to know that we can go to one another and say, hey, would you pray for me about this? But it's, an, it's a far more wonderful thing to know that, yes, you, you'll be praying for me, but I myself can go directly to the throne room of God and get his ear. I, I love the way he words it here. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. It didn't go to an answering service. <laughs> it didn't go on a to-do list somewhere. Do you realize this? That again, I love, I love the, the, as big as the world is, as big as the universe is, all of those things, our God is way bigger. And it doesn't matter all the things that are going on all around. When you take a prayer, when you take a concern, when you take a cry of your heart to God, it goes to the top of his priority list. You get his undivided attention. And how does that happen? Because he's an infinite God. And if he's an infinite God, if I take 25% of infinity, how much is left for you? All of it. Don't try to figure it out. Just, just accept it. It's, it's, it's reality. It's the way it works. Because that's who he is. And then verses 7 through 15 I'll just read through it. We'll come back and, and uh, have a couple comments on this. But then this is, this is his response. I, we talked about how he saw his problems, but look at how he sees his God. Then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them, and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. 
Then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your bre- the breath of your nostrils. Now, David, getting a little poetic and, and colorful in his description here. But again, that's, we talked about how he saw his problems, but this is how he sees his God, all-powerful, almighty, unstoppable, no, nothing can stand against him. Supernatural deliverance. Understanding that God moves in ways that you and I can't describe, can't understand, can't completely wrap our minds around. David, again, very poetic, and, and that style back then in the, in, this, in, the, in the culture there, we see a lot of words to describe, again, to describe God. We saw that at the beginning, rock, fortress, you know, shield, those types of things. But here we see it talking about his, his magnificence and his power. I think we're going to be blown away someday if and when we get to see what really went on in the realm that we can't see now. I mean, we get a slight glimpse of it when Elisha and his servant, we see this, that, that story is told to us where Elisha's servant gets up one day and, and the enemies ha- have them completely surrounded on the hillside and Elisha gets, is you know, waking up and he's in the, his servant comes in all panic. You're not gonna believe, they're outside, they're gonna kill us, they're all around us, they're everything, and Elisha's just like, oh. Lord, would you just peel back the heavens just for a moment and let him see? And the Lord answered that prayer and peeled him back, and he saw the angelic hosts that, you know, outnumbered him like 10 to 1, and they're like sitting on these horses. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> we have no idea what, what is going on in the realms. I mean, we're like, we, we can be like David. Lord, if you forgot about me, are you doing anything? Do you even care? And God would just say, you have no idea what I'm doing and how I'm working all of these things. I know, I've seen it happen in my own life where I could get on the other side of something and turn around and look back and say, there is only one way this took place, and that's God, the hand of God. There's no way that nothing else makes sense in all of this. Our problems may look huge, and we have a tend to a tendency at times to exaggerate those and minimize the power of God. Well, here David is saying, guys, we just have, we have no idea. No idea. But he saw God's hand again and again and again deliver him, and that's where he picks it up in verse 16. He sent from on high, and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. And from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Again, David not too proud to admit that the only reason I'm here is because of God's power, not mine. They were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He's the one who has set my feet now on solid ground, I have a, I'm in a safe place now. He rescued me, and notice, because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. Christian, he delights in you. Going back to verse one, I love you, Lord. Do you love the Lord? 
you know, the Bible says something, and you need to, we need to all embrace this. We love him because he first loved us. His love that he extends towards us isn't a reciprocation of our love to him. No, it's be, we love him because he first loved us. And he demonstrated that love that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He did all that he did for us when we wanted nothing to do with him. He delivers us. He takes us. He draws us out. He, he brought us and he bought us. Because he delights in us. The Lord, verse 20, has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Now, we've talked many times that, that David is not sinless. He's never claimed to be sinless. So when he's speaking of righteousness here and the cleanness of his hands, as we've mentioned... He's speaking directly, specifically with regard to the, 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 pro, the things that the enemies are bringing against him, the accusations, the reason they're coming against him. Like Saul, David's like, I, I didn't do anything to Saul. As a matter of fact, I was blessing him. David was out winning battles and all of these types of things for Saul as king. He wasn't trying to usurp the authority. He was, he was brought in to, to play music for Saul. He was doing all these things. Saul became jealous, started all of these things, believed lies about him and all this stuff. And David is like, I, I, didn't, I haven't done anything. He had the opportunity several times to take matters into his own hands. Saul is trying to kill him, coming against him. He could have killed Saul himself and chose not to. And he said, I'm going to leave that to the Lord. Who am I to put my hand on the anointed? But I also think, again, personally knowing David and knowing what the scripture tells us about David, is that David had a heart after God's own heart. And though he was not a sinless man, his desire was to live for God. His desire was to please God. And Jesus himself said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And I believe that that was David's heart for the vast majority of his life is that he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. His desire was to please God in all respects. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, verse 21. I have not wickedly departed from my God. So many, as we've studied through the history of the kings of Israel, some started good, but wickedly departed. Even his own son Solomon, wickedly departed from God. Tried, chased after all sorts of other things. The one thing David never did was have another God. <laughs> he always stayed devoted to the true and living God. All his ordinances were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him. Now, we're going to see, we'll see as, as we move forward. When we get to verse 30 and 32, we'll see. He's, this isn't a boast, because he says that he's only blameless because God has caused him to be blameless. But I was also blameless with him. I kept myself from my iniquity. Again, numerous times he could have taken matters into his own hands, and no doubt he was tempted to, but he didn't. He trusted the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Notice this, though, in his eyes. I mentioned that David recounted this psalm toward the end of his life. So even if we could say 
that this was early on in his, in his life and early on in his reign as king before Bathsheba, he repeated it after Bathsheba and after Uriah and after those things. So how could he, how could he say again, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyes? Well, David also understood that the, the, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. And we saw that in David, the brokenness over his sin, this confession and repentance of his sin. And we saw that when Nathan confronted him with his sin and he repented, he said that his sins were forgiven. And for us, for you and I, I was thinking of, again, the fact that, you know, in his eyes, Jude 24 says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Again, that doesn't mean that you and I don't sin. What that means is we stand clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are in Christ Jesus as believers. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because of this historical fact, guys, this is something that the Lord has really just had me camping. And I just give this to you. If you guys want a little extra homework, read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Read it slowly. Pray through it and do it every day for a couple of weeks. The, the amazing truth that is in there, that you and I were crucified with Christ. It's a historical fact for us as believers. We sang of that earlier, too. That our old man is dead and gone because of the historical fact of the crucifixion. And as believers, we died with him. And we now have new life in him. And because of that, I hope I don't get lost with this because I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm going to jump there. Romans 6.6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has sinned, who has died, is freed from sin. He goes on, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We are dead to that and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 7, he says, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Guys, it's not the what that changed. It's the how. We can't do it in our own self and in our flesh, but dying to our old self and now being born again, the spirit of God in us, now we can. Now we can. We're no longer slaves to sin and we now have power over sin in our life. Romans chapter 8. For what the law, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be filled in us, fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Again, all of that, Romans 6, 7, and 8. In Christ, a new creation. 
we can stand. We stand before him because we are in Christ, in the cleanness of our hands, in his eyes, because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. But guys, now we have the power and the ability to walk in a way we couldn't before. We can stand before him in righteousness and walk in that way. Verse 25, with the kind with the kind you show yourself kind, with the blameless you show yourself blameless, with the pure you show yourself pure, and with the crooked you show yourself astute. Here we see the, he's talking about how the Lord responds to those who have different hearts. With the kind you show yourself kind. Jesus himself said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The kind, when we are kind to others, we receive kindness. Jesus tells us again in the Sermon on the Mount with the, we're judged and we're the same use of, the same measure that we use is used toward us. Blessed are the merciful. And for they shall receive mercy. Interesting, if we think about that and what is being said there, it's not saying blessed are the merciful and because we're merciful, we receive mercy because that would mean that we're getting paid back for something. <laughs> Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. So we still need mercy. We still need grace. But we are blessed when we are merciful. When we show ourselves kind. When we are blameless, he shows himself blameless. When we are pure, you show yourself pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Having a closer, more intimate relationship with him as we Purify our hearts as he is pure. With the crooked, you show yourself astute. Interesting how that kind of plays itself out, and there's different, people have different ideas as to what's meant there. Basically, when, when I see that, those that think they can outsmart God got another thing coming. That's, that's the Brett translation, if you want it. Verse 27, you save and afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. God, God hates pride. Those who are afflicted, those who, who humble themselves, God shows himself strong to them but comes against the, pride, the proud. For you light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. The light, again, so many different ways that we've looked at light over the last few weeks. And again, the light of the Lord, when he lights our lamp, guys, no one can extinguish that. He lights our path. He lights the darkness. When we are in dark situations, when we are in places where it seems hopeless, and maybe somebody needs to hear this tonight because you're in that dark place and you just, you're not sure where to turn or what's going to happen next. He lights up your darkness. And it might only be enough to take the next step, but trust him and take it. Because when you're walking down a path and you can only see one step in front of you, guess what happens when you take a step? You can see the next step in front of you and the next step in front of you and the next step in front of you as you move along and as you trust him. And I got to tell you, there are many times when I have to say, thank you, Lord, for not lighting up too many steps. Because if I'd have seen what was down there too far, I'd have probably turned around and run the other way. <laughs> I wasn't ready to see it yet. But by the time I got there, I was. And that's oftentimes how he lights it for us in our path. But notice that no one can extinguish that when he does that for us. For 
For by you, I can run upon a troop. For by my God, I can leap over a wall. There is, <laughs> there is no one who can stand against us if God is for us. As for God, verse 30, his way is blameless. Like he said, now we'll see that in verse 32, tied together with that when he's talking about David saying, my way is blameless. Now he says, the Lord's way is blameless. The, Lord, the word of the Lord is tried, it's tested. And guys, when it's tested and tried, it is always true. I read a devotion years ago about a, a, a man who inherited as part, of, as part of his inheritance from his grandmother, her Bible. And she had a little note stuck in the beginning that says, you know, John, when you see T and T in the, in the margins, that means tried and true. Because I tried it, and God always is true. And he said it blessed him because every, he sees it was like almost on every page. There was a promise of God and next to it, T and T. I tried it. It's true. <laughs> the word of the Lord is tried and true. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. If you're an underliner, underline that word all. All. David said he's my shield. We saw that earlier, but he is a shield to all who take refuge in him, who trust in him, who make him, his, him their hiding place. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength, and notice here, and makes my way blameless. It's only in him. He is the one who keeps us from stumbling. He is the one who keeps us. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. I love that verse. It's also in, in the book of Habakkuk. He makes my feet like hinds feet. He's speaking of the little, the little deer that we see when we go to, when we go to Israel, when we go to En Gedi. It, that's one of the one of my favorite stops in Israel, and that's the when we walk all the way back up. It's in the middle of the desert. It's the day we go out to see the Dead Sea. It's in the in the middle of the desert. You wonder how anything could be growing, but they have these little these little canyons that shoot up, and this is the particular one where we climb all the way to the top, and it's the cave that's at the top there where David snuck up behind Saul and cut the corner off of his robe, and it's this beautiful. I mean, there's this stream running through there, and when it rains, it it floods down through there so the a lot of a lot of grasses and all this stuff but these ibex are everywhere they're all over the place it's it's funny because everybody at the beginning is like oh look way up there and they're taking pictures because they're way up on the rock and you can see them up there and as we walk there I mean they walk right past you and so it's like you took all of those pictures and now you can get a real close-up one of them but the amazing thing about them is they are much more comfortable running around on these short little rock outcroppings and you think there is no way they're going to get up there and all of a sudden, the, and the little ones, they'll be, jump right up after the, their parents climbing up these rocks and you're like, how in the world? Well, it's because you make my feet like Heinz feet. God gave them feet to do that. And he sets me on my high places. He's the one who places me in these places. And this verse, it was in, the, in Habakkuk when I was doing a study years ago that the Lord so blessed me by changing my perspective in my prayer life. And ever since then, when I'm facing a really difficult situation, I think of this. Because my prayer at the time was, Lord, change my path. Because I don't like it. 
I don't like where this is going. This is way too difficult. This is way too hard. It was during the time when we were losing everything, and I had no idea what was on the other side of it. And going through a study through Habakkuk and coming to the end of that, the prayer changed from, Lord, change my path, to, Lord, change my feet. Give me the feet that I need to walk this path. And he's faithful in that. Because on the other side of it, I wouldn't change a thing. I am so glad that the Lord has take, took me through that. He placed me there. And he gave me the feet I needed to walk it. And that's what David is saying here. He makes my feet like hind feet and sets me on high places. Notice next, he trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. David wasn't raised a soldier. He was raised a shepherd. He wasn't trained for battle like his brothers and all of this type of stuff. He went into the, the battle with Goliath saying, keep all of that stuff. I'm going to trust God in this. He's the one. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. And here's the key. Your right hand upholds me. Without that, none of the rest of it works. Your right hand, your powerful right hand. In that, when you, whenever you see that in, in the Psalms especially, but any time in the literature, then right hand, the right hand was the, the hand of strength, the hand of power. All you left-handers, don't get mad. That's just, that's the way it was. Your right hand upholds me. Your right hand of power. And notice this, the next one, your gentleness makes me great. Your gentleness. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. Amen? And your gentleness makes me great. It's so interesting when, again, you read through the, the entire Sermon on the Mount, but especially you go through the Beatitudes and, you, and Jesus talking about you're blessed if you're poor in spirit, if, if you're gentle, if you're merciful. All of those things, Jesus says you're blessed if you're those things. The world says... No, man, if you, you're going to be blessed when you step on everybody else, when you get to the top, when you, you, know, you take advantage, you know, all that. that every, hey, it's all about you. It's all about you. you know, Jesus takes all of that and flips it all on his head. And in case anybody, again, thinks, well, you know, Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if we need to read, go back and read 7 through 15 again, that, that God, gentle. And it's his gentleness that makes us great. When we, when we become more and more like him, forgiving, gracious, loving, that's what makes us great. That's what blesses us. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. Again, I love the image of that because so many times we think we're just balancing, just barely going to hang on. I'm going to fall any time we step. Oh. Well, he enlarged it underneath me. My feet have not slipped. I pursued, verse 37, I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. 
You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help, but there was none to save. Even the Lord, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. Again, using pretty graphic language to describe all of the things and the, the battles that were eventually won. Verse 43 you have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as head of the nations, as the people whom I have not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortresses. Again, giving credit here and as he has throughout this whole psalm. Whenever he makes it sound like he's saying something about himself, he quickly points out that it's God and it's you, Lord. And, and he gives credit for every ability, every victory, every delivery to the Lord. Always to him. The Lord lives, verse 46, and blessed be my rock. Again, here we come, my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me. He takes care of that. Again, David trusted God with all of that. Every time, God, you take care of this. I trust you in this. Paul tells us in Romans, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We have to leave that in God's hands. He's the only one who judges righteously. We don't. Even if we think we know, even if we think we have all the facts, we don't. It's always tainted. It's always leaning towards me. <laughs> Only God knows. God who executes vengeance for me and subdues people under me, he delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me up above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent men. Again, Lord, you do that. That's what you do. It's not mine to take these things into my own hand. You're the one who, who subdues, delivers, lifts me up, rescues me. My job, verse 49 and 50. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his servant or his descendants forever. Again, I will give thanks to you. For what you do, but I will sing praise to your name because of who you are. We don't have anywhere near enough time to get into Psalm 19. So we'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you again for, for your faithfulness, your goodness, your awesome almighty power. And Lord, the amazing truth of the psalm that we just went through is that David realized that everything he had came directly from your hand, that he could completely trust you to be his rock, to be his strength, to be his fortress, to be his deliverer. But Lord, it's not just for David. It's for us too. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this psalm and to see David on the other side of the battles that you brought him through and looking back at your faithfulness and your goodness and your power and your strength, the fact that he can cry out, I love you, Lord, because you're always there. You're always faithful, Lord, that we too would be able to say from the bottom of our heart, we love you, Lord. 
And you are our God, our strength, our fortress, our deliverer, our salvation. That we would be able to personalize that because it's true. Lord, we understand again that we only love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for that. And we praise you for who you are, the King of kings and Lord of lords, because you are worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy 4th. God bless you guys.